Hi, I'm Tori Peacock. I'm the mother slash owner of a gorgeous New Yorkie puppy named Byron. And you're listening to another episode of the Animal Academy podcast. Yay for puppies! Welcome to the Animal Academy podcast. I'm Allison White, and I'm a licensed clinical social worker who specializes in the human-animal connection. This podcast will showcase professionals who share their areas of expertise in an ongoing series of interviews, and you are there. Their input, stories, and knowledge will help us all understand that we are the ones that actually end up learning from the animals. This is the Animal Academy Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Animal Academy Podcast. One of the consequences of the coronavirus pandemic is people are adopting more animals, which means they're also trying to find obedience trainers. There are limited in-person classes, and most have limited enrollment due to need for social distancing. Besides offering in-home obedience training, my guest today will also focus on separation anxiety, which may occur as people return to work after being with their pets most of the day. We will also discuss her background with Greyhound Rescue and some other animal-related community projects that she has been involved in. I'd like to welcome Marilyn Gaffney to this episode of the Animal Academy podcast. Welcome, Marilyn. Thank you much, Allison. Nice to be here. Well, I appreciate you joining me today. Tell me a little bit about what made you interested in training dogs and how did you get started? Well, I will give credit to my first Dalmatian, Checkers. You may actually remember I remember, remember Checkers, Allison. yes. Yes. So she was a bit of a hellion. We were fortunate because we got her from a very good breeder to be pointed towards some puppy classes, obedience classes. And I definitely remember taking the beginner obedience class with her at least twice, embarrassingly, maybe three times. But what that did was allow me to see how indeed that human-animal bond can work and how Mm -hmm. by using building blocks and a lot of effort and hard training, you really do end up with a dog that is a great companion. So that's how I got hooked. I love the fact that you mentioned building blocks because we've talked about that in several other podcasts. That is really, really important, isn't it, you know, to create that, that base and then you build from there. It is indeed very important to create the base. Another thing that I think is important is to have an idea of the end result that you want Mm. and be able to break it down into small pieces and then train those as those building blocks. Oh, that's really interesting. You have to know the end goal and then build up from there. That makes sense. Build backwards. Build backwards, right, exactly. Kind of like you would do with yourself and your own personal goals if you have something in mind. Have you always had Dalmatians and Greyhounds? Pretty much. I also raised a lab for the Guide Dog Foundation, and after she served for a while, we got her back as a pet. So I've had three Dalmatians, a retired racing greyhound, and that wonderful Labrador retriever. Awesome. Marilyn, I know you've been involved in so many different activities. Do you want to talk a little bit about REGAP, which I think is really fascinating, and that helped retired greyhounds? Exactly. REGAP stands for Retired Greyhounds as Pets. And it just so happened in 1993 when we were ready to adopt a retired racing greyhound. That was one of the groups 
that had a chapter here in the St. Louis area. So that's how we got involved. Mm -hmm. And then my spouse had the great idea of forming Friends of Regap, and that's what we were most active in. It was actually a fundraising arm, and what that allowed was for us to spread the awareness more about the retired racing greyhounds and to, you know, help fund some of the medical bills and things like that. So were the greyhounds rescued or retired from this area, or where did you find the greyhounds? Well, there was no shortage because greyhound racing was very prevalent. Again, I said this was like the early 90s. Fortunately, these days, I would have to say that the casinos have become the best friends of these greyhounds because people have only so much money to gamble, and the racetracks, one by one by one, have been closing. But back in the 90s, there was a huge surplus because if you think about a litter, maybe an average litter of 8 to 10 puppies, maybe one or two of those would be actually good racers. And then those careers are pretty short as well. So it created a very large surplus of dogs, and they made great, wonderful pets. I bet. Now, how? what age would a retired greyhound be? It really varies. Probably as young as two years old, because by wow. that time, the breeders determined they're either going to have a career at racing or are not. Okay. And then all the way up to a need for homes for dogs that are 10 years old or so, maybe a, a brood bitch that, you know, they have finally retired. Mm-hmm. What a wonderful organization. Are you still involved in that? Is that still around? Well, actually, there are a large variety of groups of greyhound adoptions that you know came about and I believe Regap here in St. Louis has sort of you know gone by the wayside. I think there's only one St. Louis group left and again that goes back to there's really not as much need mm-hmm. because as racing has died out, you know, you don't have that surplus of dogs anymore. Okay. That, that's really fascinating to me, and I, I'm glad that, that greyhound racing has diminished, actually. Marilyn, you were also a really strong advocate for Barkley House, and I remember that from years ago. Could you explain a little bit about what this is and why this project has been so important? Sure. Barkley House, think of a Ronald McDonald-type facility for people and their pets. And this is a dream of Dr. Carolyn Henry, who's now the dean of the vet school at the University of Missouri-Columbia. And she and I have been working together for a number of years. Basically, we're looking for that leadership gift that will allow us to build Barclay House. But in the interim, we've been able to work with a local hotel that's not too far from the vet school, And we were able to retrofit two of their rooms to accommodate pets that might be undergoing treatments. So when I say accommodate, you know, they're really set up for dogs, cats that can stay there with their humans and, you know, have the right environment that they would need to support whatever treatments that they might need. Okay. So right now you're still needing funds for Barkley House, but you found an interim plan to help some of those families. That is correct. And with that interim plan, we've really proven the need for Barkley House. Oh, definitely. Um, If you think about it, pets really, it's been proven, they heal better, they thrive more, they do better 
if they're in a situation with their human. I so totally... While the uni- University of Missouri has a great kennel system, you know, if indeed you need to board your dog there for, say, long-term treatments, if they're getting radiation treatments or something of that nature, mm-hmm. you know, if, if the pet can be there with their person, that's a big plus. You know, that, that reminds me, years ago, my Golden Retriever charity had a surgery at the University of Missouri-Columbia, and she suffered pneumonia after the surgery. Unfortunately, she was in the 10% of dogs that may experience pneumonia after a surgery. So I had to leave her, I, you know, for a period of time. And the veterinarian called me one day and said, would you mind making the trip to Columbia? Because I think your dog's getting depressed. And I think she's going to actually recover better if you're around. I made very frequent trips to go and see her and left some of my clothing with her. So I can see, and actually she started improving after that. So I can see that there's a great, yeah, I can see there's a great need for that. And the veterinarians realize that too. The other aspect is that the students get to experience so much at the vet school, but this will also extend their experience dealing one-on-one with the human counterpart and those emotions that Mm. are felt when, you know, such as with yourself Mm -hmm. having to leave your dog there. Mm -hmm. Well, even if you're there with your dog and you're going through some serious medical treatments for your dog or your cat or your horse, there's just a lot of things that as a veterinarian in the future that those folks are going to have to deal with. And this is a real good way for them to kind of get that exposure. I think that's wonderful. So, Marilyn, you're also, you're a very busy person, by the way, as I was reading through all the things that you're doing. You're also <laughs> on the steering committee of the Humane Society of Missouri Women's Leadership Council. Could you talk a little bit about the goal of this committee and what you're doing? Absolutely. So this is a more recent endeavor. I think I've been involved for maybe, oh, six or so years now. And it's a group of professional women. And we come together and direct our time, our expertise, and our support toward a specific project each year. I think that's what I like most about the Women's Leadership Council is that, you know, you you get that good feeling of, like, checking off the list. Hey, we we raised these funds this year, and it went to support this particular goal. Mm -hmm. So just to give you an example, here in 2020, our goal is $150,000 bit of a stretch for us, but we keyed into that amount because this is the 150th anniversary Mm. of the Humane Society of Missouri. Wow, that's amazing. So the program that we chose to fund this year is the SNP program, and SNP stands for Spay Neuter Incentive Program. Mm -hmm. So it's a low-cost spay neuter program funded completely by donations and some grants. So I'll make a selfish plug here. You can imagine um, we selected that $150,000 goal way before we knew how this year was going to unfold. So mm-hmm. if anyone is interested in making a one-time donation or joining the Women's Leadership Council, have them contact me. Okay, so actually, Marilyn, I think that's great that you mentioned that. We can put that in the show notes as well, put a link to that. Perfect. Okay, awesome. Marilyn, you own on-the-spot dog training. Could you share a little bit about how you started this training company and what you do? Sure. So on the spot dog training, you asked what breeds I've had. So Mm -hmm. you get the connection with the spot and the Dalmatian. Uh Also on the spot goes to clients' homes. 
So I started this business in 1991. Prior to that, I volunteered for an obedience club teaching classes. And then I did some classes and some lectures for uh, the various school districts through the continuing education. Mm -hmm. And then for a while at part-time, I worked for Kennelwood. And I really enjoy seeing the light bulb go on. So in my career at Edward Jones, I taught financial advisors. So with dog training, you're really teaching the person to train their dog. Mm -hmm. So it's really fun to see that light bulb go on. And as I said, I started this in 1991. What I was experiencing at that time was that people were so busy that they really had a hard time committing to coming to a class one night a week, say for eight or 10 weeks, you know, at a given time, you know, life went on while they were trying to train their dog. And some folks didn't really want that entire eight-week curriculum. They had two or three things that they wanted to focus on with their pet. So when I started on-the-spot dog training, going into clients' homes, for one, we can have all the family members, whoever lives in the household, participate mm-hmm. so that everybody's on the same page. Everybody can ask their questions. And we can you know, come to a happy agreement. Mm-hmm. And they're selecting the behaviors that are important to them. And we are actually doing the training in their homes where the behaviors are actually occurring. I think that's awesome. And I've heard really good reports from the people that you're working with, too. They enjoy having you as their trainer. Well, that's good to know, Allison. Thank you. Yeah. So what do you see some of the challenges being with people staying home and having new pets during the pandemic? Well, I don't see too many challenges with them staying home and acquiring these new pets. What I see the challenges to be, and I know this is really what you're talking about, is when all of our schedules get more back to, quote, normal, and people return physically to their jobs, Mm -hmm. their kids are going back to school five days a week. I really think that unless they've been really aware of teaching their pets to be independent, that some of those pets are going to suffer from this terminology that you've already introduced, separation anxiety. Mm -hmm. So could you explain what is separation anxiety and what are some of the common symptoms? Well, separation anxiety is when animals exhibit symptoms of anxiety, just as it sounds, or they're excessively distressed when they're left alone. It's very specific to being alone. And if you think about some of these dogs with their hyperbonding, you know, you can almost dub them Velcro dogs. I mean, they are so attached to their humans that they just follow their human from room to room. And what sounds really loving and idolizing, it's just like, you know, with humans, it's really important for our dogs to learn to be content and spend some alone time. So some of the symptoms that you might see is, as you're getting ready to depart, your dog, you know, exhibits anxiety. Well, what is that? It might be whining. It might be that they start pacing. It might be that they actually start almost chewing on themselves, self-mutilating. So there's a lot of different ways in which you can see those symptoms manifest. Marilyn, I was just, as we were talking, thinking about people have a lot of anxiety during the pandemic, and one of the, the things that I've heard from people is that my dogs actually help reduce my anxiety 
do you think that people show anxiety in similar ways as dogs do? Well, do I think there's similar possibly in that, you know, if you're anxious, it's hard to sit still. Well, an anxious dog has to have some outlet for that pent up emotion, that pent up energy. So I think you're right, Allison, that, you know, that could be very similar to what humans feel. So they're, they're really bonding because they have a common sense of needing each other, especially at this time. But I, I'm even thinking back to my puppy. Working from home has been a real challenge raising a puppy because when he whines and cries, people hear it when I'm working in the other room. And <laughs> the thing is, is that if I let him do what he wants to do, he'll quiet down, but it's not creating the behavior that I need for later on when I leave. So I, I kind of hear that that's what you're saying, too, is even though you're home and you want to be with your pet and it may reduce some of the behaviors, it's really not good for them in the long run because they have to teach themselves to kind of self-soothe. They do have to learn that. They have to learn to be confident enough to exist calmly without their human presence. They have to be confident enough to maybe you know, play with an interactive toy. And let's face it, most of our dogs, while we're gone, the average dog sleeps most of that time. Mm -hmm. But if you have a dog that's suffering from separation anxiety, they're just, you know, feeling, I think they just feel so much anxiety and angst inside of themselves that they have to um, actually do something. And oftentimes those are not the choice behaviors we would want. They're actually destructive, mm -hmm. um, not only destroying your house, but the dog can be injured in, in that process. So are there specific things we can do to train dogs to be away from us when we work from home to kind of prepare for when we return to work? There certainly are. And, you know, even non-pandemic times, I think this was really important with adding a new dog, a puppy to your household, I'm a huge advocate for crate training, mm -hmm. you know, having that space that the, belongs solely to the dog and getting them comfortable to be in that crate by themselves. So it's a great thing if you're going to crate train, do some of that while you're home. You don't mm -hmm. want it to be equated to the fact that you're leaving. That's negative. Make it positive. I feed my dogs in their crate all the time. What could be more positive than eating in your own little home? Right. Um, you can use baby gates so that, you know, you can separate the puppy from the area that you're immediately in. Occasionally close doors. Don't let them follow you into the bathroom or into the closet all the time. Sometimes fine, but not always. Sometimes when you're going out, make sure you go out without the puppy. I mean, especially Allison, I bet you can attest to this, having training a puppy puppy for house training. I mean, you're taking that dog in and out a lots of times mm -hmm. a day, probably the majority of the times that you're leaving, right? You're mm -hmm. taking the puppy out so that it doesn't have an accident in the house. They exactly. need to learn that they're not always going to go with you. And that I think has been a challenge. And I've heard that from other people during the pandemic as they're home so much that they almost feel guilty for putting their puppy or their dog in a separate room or environment while they're working at home. Because it, it makes them feel a little bit guilty? Well, they're not doing their puppies any favor. Mm -hmm. You know, think about, and I mean, we, we all were children. I don't have children, but I was one. Think how important it is for children to learn to be independent. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's really very much the same for, for our dogs. 
Well, I am really happy that I followed my gut instinct and having had dogs for a number of years, my puppy is actually doing very well now, and I feel we're okay. We, I take out the trash without him. I, I do all kinds of stuff without him, but then we also have our fun times, too. So it creates that balance. Absolutely. Besides going back to work, would you say there are any other life changes that may lead to separation anxiety? There definitely are, because separation anxiety has existed well before we've endured this pandemic. So if you think about it, it's really any high contrast situation. So something that the dog was used to for a really long time changes. So think of a few examples after months of somebody being home, then all of a sudden they're gone to work for eight hours a day. Even just changes in the owner's routine, even if the people are home, but let's say their children are going back to school whether that's virtual or in person, it's still going to result in some time constraints and a change in the pattern that the pets have gotten used to. And if you, you know, do any research at all, it will show that any life change for a pet can trigger separation anxiety. So think of some life changes to be rehoming, maybe boarding the pet at a kennel, the death of a family member. Now, I really want to emphasize here, though, that most pets are going to adapt to those changes quite fine. So I, I don't want anyone to get the impression that, oh, my goodness, if I board my pet, you know, I'm going to cause separation anxiety. That's not the case. It's a very small percentage of the dog population that's going to have that reaction. Okay. What about breeds of dogs? Are they all susceptible to separation anxiety? It seems to be true that it's not a breed-specific trait, I'm going to share something with you here, and it's the concept of nature versus nurture. Mm -hmm. So that's controversial as we try to apply it to separation anxiety. Experts don't even agree on whether separation anxiety is more genetic or if it's more environmental. But the one thing that experts do agree on is that separation anxiety isn't breed-specific. Does it happen when pups are removed from their litters and mothers, like at an early age? Well, I was doing some research with a book that I absolutely love. It's written by Deborah Horowitz, and now she touches on a variety of behavioral issues. Separation anxiety is just one small chapter within her book called Decode Your Dog. Mm -hmm. And by the way, Deborah Horowitz is a veterinarian and behaviorist who was here in the St. Louis area. She has since retired, though, and we're all missing her. But one of the things that her research showed was that separation anxiety can be more prevalent in dogs that are taken from their litters early. And it was cited four and a half to six weeks versus the normal, you know, eight weeks of age mm -hmm. when you would be taking a puppy away from its litter. And the reason for that is we think dogs really learn to explore and be confident from being around their dam and their litter mates. So mm -hmm. that makes some sense. Just another reason not to get a puppy too early. Exactly. No, that really does make sense. Another thing I was thinking about, Marilyn, is that my dogs seem to know when I'm changing my routine. They also tend to know when I'm picking up my car keys 
that I'm not just going to go open up the van. I'm actually going to leave because then I pick up my purse and then I open the door and then I give them a dog treat. And, you know, it's this routine of getting ready to leave. So I'm giving them little clues. And then all of a sudden I notice they begin to react. If I don't give them a treat, they really react. So (laughs) it seems as if pets really become tuned into our habit, you know, to prepare for what's to come. Do you find that to be true? I do. And I think for the most part, routine is good and comforting for most dogs. But what you were just very specifically citing there are some specific cues about leaving. And if you have a dog that's not comfortable, you know, being home by him or herself, those cues are really going to start to escalate that anxiety that the dog is experiencing. You mentioned, you know, picking up your keys, dressing in work clothes, whatever. Some dogs even start to chain those behaviors all the way back to your alarm clock goes off. Mm. Because, say, for someone who might work a typical Monday through Friday job, they don't set their alarm on Saturday and Sunday. So the dog's like, okay, Saturday and Sunday, I've got much better opportunity that you're going to be staying home with me. So, Marilyn, if you think your pet's suffering from separation anxiety, what should you do? Well, first of all, Allison, I think it's really important to be able to determine, is this true separation anxiety or is this just a disobedient dog? A couple of things that you can do is really be in tune. If the behaviors are happening only when you're away and the dog is alone, that's one clue that it could be separation anxiety. But again, some dogs, when their owner leaves, they've decided, hey, it's fun to get in the trash. It's fun to tear down the drapes. Mm. You know, I can mutilate the blinds so I can see outside. (laughs) And that doesn't necessarily mean it's separation anxiety. Because if you think about it, these are just behaviors the dog is doing. It's not, you know, getting any feedback from anyone that those are inappropriate behaviors. So that's where it gets a little bit dicey. That's where I, I would say consulting with someone who's dealt with separation anxiety, a trainer, a behaviorist, that's probably your good first step. And then a couple of things that a pet owner can do to really try to diagnose is leave some really tasty treats, maybe in the dog's bowl or anywhere that they're in plain view when you're leaving the house, and see if the dog has consumed those while you're gone, or if the dog waits to eat them a short time after you return because a highly anxious dog often won't be able to eat the treats. Hmm. So there's one simple test. Interesting. Another one is to video that first hour after you depart. That way you can determine, is the dog destroying things just to have a really good time and out of boredom, or is the dog having a panic attack? And with separation anxiety, you will usually see destruction around the door frames, around the windows, because, you know, the dog's trying to escape being alone, wants to be with its owner. So those are some things that can cue an owner in that, wow, that really could be separation anxiety, not just a badly behaved dog. Would you take the dog, if you if you thought that they were suffering anxiety, uh, would you take the dog to the veterinarian for maybe medication? Medication is often used in combination with a behavior modification program to help to treat separation anxiety. So I always say with a lot of behavioral things, it's really important to first take your dog to the vet, 
get a clean bill of health, and then with separation anxiety, if indeed we're going to pair that with use of medications, we're going to need your veterinarian on board anyway. And that kind of goes back to what we've talked in other podcasts about integrated care. And it's important to bring in all these different supports with their own areas of expertise so they can provide support and help you out with your dogs. That is correct, Allison. So what about desensitizing our pets? Very important that we desensitize them to those cues that we are going to be leaving because for a dog that's experiencing separation anxiety, that just causes that anxiety to elevate each one of those cues. So it's not quite as easy as we would hope it would be. I mean, it takes a dedicated owner. It takes a lot of time. And the first thing that I suggest if we have a dog that truly is experiencing separation anxiety is to teach that dog to really expect pleasure, not panic when left alone. And the way to do that is to teach the dog to utilize a safe interactive toy. And then once the dog is comfortable doing that with the owner present, we will start to save that highly coveted toy, usually something with treats in it, so that the dog gets that only when it's left alone. That's really interesting because I've seen those interactive toys like the puzzles and Mm -hmm. the toys that make a lot of noise because I actually bought one and uh, (laughs) put a lot of dog treats in the middle. And that thing, I, when I'm asleep, I have to put that, put that up because the dogs will be playing all kinds of soccer around the the other room and keep me up, but it really (laughs) does keep them occupied. Absolutely. One of my all time favorites is the good old Kong Mm -hmm. and you stuff it with wonderful treats. You block the hole that's at the bottom of the Kong. You can put it in your freezer to make it even more difficult to get out the cream cheese and the treats, etc. Because like we said, that the destruction usually happens within the first hour that the owner's gone. Truly, it's usually within the first 15 minutes. So if we can get the dog interested in another behavior, especially something that involves chewing, because you had asked, you know, anxiety in pets and people, is there much similarity? Well, I don't know about you, but I'm a stress eater. So if I can be (laughs) chewing, that does certainly help to relieve my stress. Well, Marilyn, you've been talking about so many um, awesome things about separation anxiety, among, you know, other things, especially during the pandemic. Would you be okay if we take a break? Sure, let's take a break. Awesome. We'll be right back. Thought about a career in voiceover? Need a great, cost-effective on-hold message for your organization or business? Don't know where to start? Check out The Voice Farm, your one-stop shop for voiceover needs. Check it out now by accessing The Voice Farm at voicefarmers.com and see what difference can be made with a company that is truly outside the box. From The Voice Box, voicefarmers.com. That's voicefarmers.com. Do you like what you're hearing during this episode of the Animal Academy podcast? If so, consider having your business, organization, or effort connect with me to see how you can sponsor or be featured inside this podcast. Visit my website over at animalacademypodcast.com and let's have a conversation. Make your podcast soar with the Editor Corps. The one question every podcaster needs to ask themselves is, why am I still editing my own podcast? 
We all know that editing your own podcast is the worst part of the podcast experience. Get the editing off your plate and reclaim more time to make more content with the Editor Core. Affordable, talented, experienced podcast editors are ready to take your podcast literally to the next level to make it soar. Make your podcast soar with the Editor Core. EditorCore.com. That's EditorCore.com. Welcome back to the Animal Academy podcast. We're ready to continue this episode talking to Marilyn Gaffney about separation anxiety and her company, On the Spot Dog Training. So, Marilyn, we were talking about some really cool interactive toys, and I'm going to have to do a search because I think that I need another interactive toy for my dogs. But I had forgotten about the Kongs and how helpful those are when you fill them with cream cheese or peanut butter and put them in the freezer. So thanks for mentioning that. That's a tried and true one. It's been (laughs) around a long time. So another question I have is I've heard people say, I wonder if my dog has separation anxiety because they're lonely. Maybe I'll get another pet. What are your thoughts about that? Well, that's always interesting. Um, Research has proven that getting another pet is often not the solution. Your dog wants to be with you, Mm. the human. So my suggestion is if you, the human, truly wants Another four-legged member of your family? Mm-hmm. Sure, go ahead. Try to get a dog that's, you know, really sound, pretty confident, doesn't show much anxiety. That might help. But the other thing is if you have an opportunity to foster another dog, that could be a win-win for everyone because then if it does help your dog with separation anxiety, you can just adopt that dog. That's a really good idea. I know that... Right now, I've, I've gotten calls from different college students talking about going off to college and wanting to take their pet with them, and they're moving into another living situation, and they're wondering about taking their pet with them. Do you think there's anything they need to prepare for when they're either going to college and taking their pet, or maybe they're just moving into a new apartment? Yes, I do think it's important to prepare because everybody's going to be going through a lot of changes. And that's one thing else and we haven't really brought up. Anxious people often, you know, share their anxiety with their pets. So the more planning that can be done ahead of time by the person, probably the more simple that new situation will be for the pet. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to go back to another tried and true here. If your dog is crate trained, you just take that crate with you to the new apartment. And that gives such a good feeling to your pet of something the pet is comfortable with, knows. It makes your pet just a whole lot more adaptable. When we used to show our dogs, my goodness, we'd stay in all kinds of hotel rooms, but Mm -hmm. we always brought our dog crates and the dog bedding, and that really helped. Oh, I totally agree. I have crates in the back of my van for safety reasons. I have crates in my house. My puppy has an X-Pen for long periods of time. And overnight, he's in a crate. And he loves his crate. That's when he has a really great bone. And, you know, he gets treats when he goes in there. He also eats his food. So it's not a punishment. I've heard from people saying, I don't want to put my dog in a crate. It seems so cruel. But it really isn't. It really isn't. If you think about their denning animals, you know, so they kind of like a space that's 
a little bit um, constrained. They certainly like a space that's their own. I think it's a, a great opportunity, especially for college kids going away to school. You know, usually you're you're sharing your apartment with others or friends come over. So if someone isn't particularly fond of dogs or if someone is tormenting your dog, you know, your dog has somewhere safe to hang out. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a really good idea. When you look at the prognosis for living a, with a dog who has separation anxiety, what would you say that is? Well, it seems like just with any other behavioral issue, the sooner the behavioral issue is addressed, the better off. So if the separation anxiety has only gone on for a short time, and if the owner can be motivated to perform some of these time-consuming training situations that will help the dog, the situation is pretty hopeful. Again, I'm going to quote something from Debbie Harwitz's book, and she shares that the treatment can improve separation anxiety in 70% of cases, and much improvement may happen within eight weeks. So I think that's wow. really encouraging. Yeah. It's just that, you know, we've, we haven't really dove real deeply into all of the work that the owner has to put in to help a dog that truly does have separation anxiety. So as long as you have that owner commitment, I think there's a lot of good hope. Eight weeks is really nothing. What do you think about the lifetime of a dog and making them feel better and more at ease? That's a really good perspective. I think, you know, we, we want that instant fix and immediate pill. And we talked about medication, you know, being used in conjunction with a behavior modification program. Mm-hmm. But eight weeks in the life of a dog and especially of a pet that you really love, I, I think that's something that, um, you know, a dedicated owner can really try to carve out. The other thing I'm going to mention here, because, you know, at some point people do have to go back to work. Well, mm-hmm. if you're working through this desensitizing and counter-conditioning your pet, you don't want to leave them in a situation where sort of that tipping point's going to happen. So you don't want to push too quickly. Mm-hmm. So maybe you have a dog sitter who comes in. Maybe you take your dog to doggy daycare until you get them to a level where they're comfortable being home alone. Oh, that's a really good point, too. What about regular exercise? Does that help? Exercise, exercise, exercise helps just about every behavioral issue there is. Because think about this, complex motor action, that's one of the things that helps for us to release stress for ourselves. Same thing with your pet. So if you get them out, play a rigorous game of ball, take them on a you know, pretty jaunty walk before you have to leave, that definitely, it not only helps to calm them, but it tires them out. So they're not going to experience that same level of anxiety as if, you know, they've been cooped up and, you know, haven't had that exercise in the morning before you have to leave. So something came up, Marilyn, when you were talking about anxiety and medication. And I know with people, it's the same thing as what you just described with, with animals, too, is that medication doesn't serve, I mean, it serves a purpose, but medication doesn't cure everything. It takes the edge off. It can help temporarily while you start putting these things into practice that will help long term. But even with people, we teach breathing skills. We teach the importance of exercise, mindfulness, but our dogs don't have the same ability to learn some of those skills, so we have to help them out. That is correct. And the use of that medication 
combined with a behavioral modification program, it almost allows the dog the ability to think or it sort of relieves the anxiety enough that the dog can think, that the dog can learn. So it does serve a place in a separation anxiety situation that's pretty advanced. Okay. So, Marilyn, I know that you do um, in-home dog training. Are there any other situations that you're seeing right now or that you have in the past that you'd like to talk about? Well, I think since we're just talking about medication, being the uh, Americans that we are and wanting a quick fix to Mm -hmm. so many things, you know, everybody hopes there's going to be a magic pill. And I jokingly say to them, you know, as I go in to help them with training, now, you know, this is going to take some building blocks. It's going to take some time. It's going to take some practice every day. And I jokingly say, you know, if I could perform an exorcism, you'd be willing to pay me 10 times as much. (laughs) So just really trying to impress upon folks, especially if they haven't had a dog in a while or if it's their first dog, it's a major commitment. Mm -hmm. But you already made the point, you know, that putting in that time in the initial groundwork, you're going to reap those benefits and so is your dog for, for the rest of your dog's life. You certainly are, and there's nothing more fulfilling than creating that bond with your dog, but then also to be independent of your dog as well. So they feel comfortable being away from you. Because when I'd go on trips, I wouldn't want to get calls saying your dog is, is doing you know, things that are panicking without you. I want a dog to be comfortable away from me as they are with me. Absolutely. That's one of the ways I used to kind of judge a a dog sitter because I usually have someone come and stay in my home. And sure, when I got home from a trip, my dog would come and greet me, happy to see me, and then run back to the dog sitter and like, hey, you got a treat for me? I'm sitting, you know. Uh As long as they were happy with that dog sitter, it was a a good feeling. And yeah, we, we need to be able to leave our pets and know that they're comfortable with others and Mm -hmm. with situations where, you know, if we're just leaving for the day that they can be comfortable totally by themselves. Yeah, exactly. So Marilyn, I've really enjoyed this conversation. Is there anything else you'd like to share? Well, since we're about to depart, it did dawn on me something that I failed to share, and that is about departures. Mm. We as the human need to be very calm when we're departing. Make leaving and returning a non-event. So when you're departing, no worried voices like, you know, oh, Fluffy, it'll be okay. I'll be back. You'll be all right. Oh, my gosh, you sound so worried. Of course, if the dog's worried at all, it's going to be more anxious, right? And then when you return, don't make that greeting, you know, the end-all, be-all. Because, again, you're just overemphasizing the fact that the dog wants you there. So when you return, only greet the dog when the dog is calm. So, you know, there's a a kind of a rule that we implement with a dog that's experiencing separation anxiety. Pick an amount of time, you know, two, three, four minutes that you really don't even interact with or talk to the dog right before leaving or when coming home. So make those departures and returns very calm. Marilyn, that is so very hard. And I noticed that happened today as I was returning. My puppy was jumping up and down on his back legs in his exercise pen. He was so happy to see me. And I walked right by him and put my purse down and got some water 
and I did exactly what you just said. And I'm like, this is killing me. That's what I was saying inside. And then I went over calmly and let him out. And then we went outside. Because what has happened before is that if I act like I feel and go, oh, my gosh, I'm so happy to see you, he could pee on the floor. And I don't really want to start that because then you have to break that that habit as well. Well, you are a good puppy parent. And think of another just real basic rule of thumb when you're questioning, am I doing the right thing or not? Reward the behaviors you want repeated. Mm -hmm. Ignore the behaviors you don't. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what you did when you came home today. Mm -hmm. And it was so very hard. But you have to think like a dog and not a parent, not a furry friend parent. And none of this is forever. You know, even Mm -hmm. with separation anxiety dogs, once we work them through where they're comfortable being home alone, we can change up some of the things uh, that we do. And, you know, with the fact that you have a brand new puppy, that's different than when your dog is maybe two, three, four years old. Mm -hmm. You're going to have already built that relationship with the dog. And, you know, if the dog's excited to see you when you get home, you can be excited to see him or her. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, Marilyn, thank you so much. I appreciate this conversation. I've learned so much from you, and I've known you for a long time, and I really appreciate you taking time to be on this podcast. Well, my pleasure, and we'll hope that we have very few dogs that actually suffer from separation anxiety as we all get back to normal. But if we do, we know what we can do to help them. Exactly. And we'll put your contact information in the show notes, as well as the books that you've quoted from and any other resources that will help people if they notice that their pets are having separation anxiety, those will all be in the the show notes. Excellent. Thank you so much, Allison. As much as you hear in the news and in word of mouth about how COVID has impacted us, the end of COVID is coming. It's time to prepare for a time when we are not with our pets 24-7, where we will have unintentionally created an instance of separation anxiety. While that might be the case, You now have a tool on what to do if and or when that happens. Thanks to the strong bond between your animals and we, the humans, that's now enhanced thanks to Marilyn's input and gifts tonight. Thanks for taking the time to listen to this episode of the Animal Academy podcast. Detailed contact information and links for each of the guests and resources provided inside this episode can be found at my website, animalacademypodcast.com. I'm Allison White, licensed clinical social worker specializing in the human-animal connection. Let's share and learn from the animals in the next episode of the Animal Academy podcast.